And for our news briefing this morning, we have Yoo Soo-min here in the studio. Good morning to you. Good morning, Henry. We're going to get an update now on this uh, battle ongoing between the Justice Minister c h u m i e and the Prosecutor General Yoon s e o g y e o l There's this committee under the uh, Justice Ministry which... offered some recommendations, some reform recommendations, and the end result, if implemented, would weaken the power of the prosecutor general. Exactly. Well, the Judicial Affairs and Prosecutorial Reform Committee of the Justice Ministry, it laid out a list of recommendations that are mostly aimed at decentralizing and balancing the power of prosecution. First and foremost, the committee urged the prosecution to abolish the top prosecutor's right to command specific investigations. Well, the committee evaluated that the power now assigned to the top prosecutor under this system is quote-unquote excessive compared to other countries, and it said that the right to direct investigation should be handed over to some senior prosecutors. Well, in order to decentralize the prosecutor general power to control an investigation, the committee suggested an Article 8 of the Prosecutor's Office Act be revised. And also to, uh, that is also to achieve a checks and balance system between the ministry and the prosecution and also within the prosecution. And then the committee ordered the prosecutor general to communicate with the heads of high prosecutor's office in documents and receive written briefings of investigating prosecutors, so not directly controlling mm. the prosecutors. And the justice minister will also have the power to oversee investigations by supervising the head of high prosecutor's office, apart from cases that have been recommended with non-indictment. Now, with regards to the appointment of the prosecutor general, uh, this is pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, The committee advised the prosecution to appoint an outsider as the prosecutor. So from among, uh, quote unquote, eminent figures of various backgrounds, including judges, lawyers and women, even if they are not prosecutors. So, uh, well, currently in most cases, an incumbent high-ranking prosecutor is usually named as the chief of the uh, prosecution. And the committee said that with this change, it could reduce the ill practices found within the prosecution, like covering up corruption or prioritizing their interests above public. Well, uh, Minister, Justice Minister Tumia said yesterday that the prosecution holds tremendous power and democratic controls are necessary. So we could see that this committee's recommendations are in line with her remarks. And if Justice Minister Tumia does accept the recommendations by this committee, the Prosecutor General's specific investigation command will largely be delegated to regional offices and that will obviously weaken the top prosecutor's power. Right, so this is along the lines of the uh, kind of grouping of various reform measures to try to weaken the prosecution and Mm -hmm. reform uh, what have been corrupted practices for decades uh, within the prosecution. And we know that uh, Chumie herself is also not uh, directly from the prosecutor lineage. She's a justice minister. Typically, you do have justice ministers who are also prosecutors or former prosecutors uh, nominees. She's a former uh, judge. And what they're saying is the actual role of the prosecutor general, because of that uh, sort of inherent uh, senior, uh, junior relationships that prosecutors have, to have someone from an outsider perspective to uh, be in charge of the operation could have some role in maybe um, guaranteeing some sort of uh, um, objective Mm -hmm. in terms of having fair 
investigations and not be politically motivated along with all of these uh, massive uh, decentralization plans. Uh, There is a constant uh, battle ongoing with this, and we'll talk about this uh, later on in our program in terms of how it relates to the uh, common yuchak or the uh, media prosecution collusion Mm. scandal. As well, so a lot of moving parts here. Very complicated topic, and uh, Justice Minister Chumie also is going to be uh, featuring quite prominently in a, another story we have coming up here mm-hmm. uh, today as well. But for now, let's uh, turn back to um, politics because uh, these ongoing confirmation hearings that we've seen mm-hmm. has resulted in the uh, typical political bickering and back and forth. But the big contentious. Confirmation was indeed yesterday and was for the uh, National Intelligence Service uh, Director uh, chair seat. And mm-hmm. that nominee right now is Park Ji-won, the longtime veteran lawmaker, politician, uh, former chief of staff to the former president, uh, Kim Dae-jung. And so he has a very long track record of yeah. very public uh, things, both the maybe uh, good and maybe some people deem to be Controversial. Can you just give us an overview what the confirmation hearing was like? Yeah, sure. So Park Ji-won was intensively questioned. He was grilled over a series of allegations that he was facing, that he was facing, and well, that allegations included that he fabricated his school records, his college credentials, and that he violated the Political Funds Act during his previous campaigns, and that he violated some domestic laws when he orchestrated money transfer to the North in 2000. Well, in retrospect, if you think about it, he was mostly on the snipers, uh, the attackers, and during the previous confirmation hearings because mm. he questioned the uh, you know nominees. Yeah. But this time, he as the National Intelligence Service director nominee, he was now on the defenders end. But you know, even though his position had somewhat changed, his rhetorical style remained pretty similar. So he raised his voice, he scolded the opposition lawmakers. Well, this back-and-forth wrangling even turned into a shouting match between the two. So let's take a listen to what he said during the hearing. Yeah, so what he was saying was that the questions they posed were not appropriate, and he rhetorically aspect their intentions that their allegations that he had fabricated, threatened the college credentials were not true in the first place. And actually, this allegation was what lawmaker Ha Taegyung of the United Futures Party had raised. Uh, uh, he was saying that Park Ji-won pressured Tanguk University to revise his transfer records in 2000 while Park was still in power as culture minister. Well, Park Ji-won replied that the task of filing academic records is up to the concerned university and that he is not charged of it. So he was basically rejecting the United mm. Futures Party's re- request to submit records. And he even said that the lawmaker, uh, Ha Taegyeong, was not even born when he transferred to Tanguk University in 1965 and that he should know the way things were done and understood back then were a lot different compared to these days. So we could see how confident yeah. he was when making his case. I, it's interesting because you have had the uh, situation of Park Ji-won being such a longtime political pundit and uh, veteran politician that the um, it's, it's very difficult to pinpoint and try to trap 
him because he is so wily and and experienced. Uh, there's this saying in Korean like a slippery eel, and yeah. you can't really uh, catch him. And he's also been a pundit that has talked about other nominations. And I've heard him when he was making a very re- regular appearances on uh, shows like News Kongjang, mm-hmm. where he would just basically say, "Well, you know, this nominee, we had a lot of allegations against him, and there was no smoking gun." I think that is going to be the case here as well. So far, there appears to be no. smoking gun and he does make that uh, pertinent point that I've been making for the past few days a lot of this stuff happened so long ago and the way the systems were were so different that it just seemed very difficult to try to pinpoint it he he is older than my father and Mm -hmm. I'm super old so I mean it just really goes to show that there's so many different generations of layers here that being said very experienced but some people say not all that experience is necessarily going to be viewed positively. So um, let's talk about some of the other allegations here. s u m i n how did he respond to those? Well, there are, all, are a couple of allegations. And one thing to know here is that the allegations surrounding Kim Dae-jung government's North Korea policy. Well, Ju Ho-young, the floor leader of United Switches Party, claimed that Park Ji-won agreed to pay 3 billion U.S. dollars to North Korea in 2000 in return for arranging a summit meeting between President Kim and North Korean leader Kim Jong-il. And Chu Ho-young argued that a subsidiary inter-Korean agreement that Park Ji-won signed on April 8, 2000 as a special envoy required the South to provide the money for humanitarian purposes. Well, the lawmaker Chu Ho-young then presented Park Ji-won's signature on the document as evidence. Well, the nominee Park Ji-won dismissed the allegation, saying that he had not signed any such document. And he even reputed by saying, that those documents are fabricated and said he will ask for investigation to verify such document. So despite this back-and-forth wrangling with sensitive issues, Hmm. currently eight out of 12 seats at the Parliamentary Intelligence Committee are manned by the ruling DP, so the committee is likely to approve his final appointment. And even without approval from the committee, the president is entitled to make the appointment official. So at this point, Park Ji-won is likely to head the National Intelligence Service. Right, so for the opposition to try to derail this nomination, and it does look like they... picked the Park Ji-won nomination as the one that they want to uh, kind of focus all of their political energy in trying to uh, ruin. Mm -hmm. The um, hurdles there are just numerous. In the previous National Assemblies, some of these committees, they were actually majority uh, controlled by the opposition, so they could actually vote against the nomination, Mm -hmm. say we don't give our certificate of approval, and then the president would be forced to politically then appoint the nominee without the approval of the National Assembly, which he had done uh, very many times Mm -hmm. in the previous National Assembly. Here, you're not going to likely get the vote. So the only way to actually derail this nomination is to create so much controversy or uh, a cloud of suspicion that politically, in terms of the public eye, that it would be a a liability to appoint him. But up till now, it does not appear that that's the case as what you're pointing out. Mm -hmm. So that's the track we're on. It does look like he will be confirmed. We will continue to uh, pay attention to that. development. But another development that we've been paying attention to, Sumin, is this uh, new proposal. Well, new now, but uh, it's been ongoing for decades. But this idea of uh, of relocating the capital from Seoul to another area, namely in Chungcheong province, namely in Sejong Mm -hmm. City. Uh, There's been some back and forth, some some disputes. But uh, a lot of people wondering if this was a political stunt doesn't seem so because the ruling party now has actually put the money where their mouth is. They've developed a balanced 
Development Committee. This is going to be an advisory board under President Moon Jae-in, and it's going to be expanded to hold more power and address the issue of relocation. Exactly. Well, the Presidential Advisory Committee on Balanced National Development, they they will be expanded and reorganized into a minister-level administrative committee, which holds substantial executive authority. Well, that's according to an exclusive report by Money Today. Well, this decision is based on the idea that we sort of need a control tower for balanced national development policies at this point. Like you said, when the discussions on relocating more public institutions and even capital are buzzing and materializing in the country. So lawmakers from the ruling and opposition parties will propose a revision to the relevant law, which is the Special Act on Balanced National Development, to enhance the status of the Balanced Development Committee as early as September. Now, just to give you a little bit of background of this committee, this Balanced Development Committee was first launched in 2003 under the participatory government, and it currently has 16 ruling and opposition lawmakers as members, including those whose constituencies are in Sejong City, Innovation Cities, and Company Cities. Mm. And it has since been responsible for the deliberation and resolution of major policies that's related to the balanced development, such as the relocation of public institutions to local areas. But since this is only an advisory body, it does not have the deliberation or resolution powers, nor are their recommendations legally binding. Well, they also do not have the right to demand and execute the budget plan. So we could see that there are certain limitations as to the extent and degree of their power and authority. So if this is enhanced to the minister-level administrative committee, it could secure an actual execution power, just like the Fair Trade Commission and the Financial Services Commission. So this will play significant roles in planning and implementing issues uh, and policy drives for balanced development. Meanwhile, the ruling party launched its own group that will focus on the administrative capital's relocation, which will also ask for the opposition bloc's support for the plan and gather public opinion. Yeah, so interesting. Uh, Initially, the criticism was, okay, the ruling party, uh, Kim Tae-nyeon, the floor leader, proposed this, maybe some kind of political maneuver to distract from all the controversies regarding the real estate policies, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people are dissatisfied with. But as we see now, uh, there actually might be something here that could happen because we're actually seeing some opposition politicians, namely a lot of the politicians from the Chungcheong region who are actually supportive of this. Mm -hmm. And recent polling has also shown that um, various provincial areas, namely, let's say, Chungcheong, of course, would support it. And even outer lying areas like Jeolla and uh, Gyeongsang are supportive of this idea of regional balance. Seoul Metropolitan, uh, they, they would be still a lot more skeptical. The question is, can this be done before the end of the Moon Jae-in term, which yeah. would involve potentially now even a constitutional revision because there's some question as to whether this can even happen without a constitutional revision and maybe readdressing it to the constitutional court for another mm-hmm. verdict because the 2004 ruling said that the uh, relocation issue uh, was not feasible under this traditional constitution of uh, Seoul being the capital mm-hmm. since the mm-hmm. Chosen Dynasty days. So a lot of moving parts, uh, a lot of things still have to be done, but interesting to see how it has developed so far. Let's talk about a current uh, issue that is trying to address uh, real estate problems here in the country, and that is namely the 
leaseholders and their rights uh, compared to housing owners. The ruling party in the government, they're seeking to introduce three pieces of legislation that will stabilize lease terms. It's uh, known as the Imdecha Sambap. But uh, this, again, involves who we talked about earlier, Justice mm-hmm. Minister Chumie. Can you give us the specifics? Sure. So yesterday at the National Assembly's Legislation and Judiciary Committee, Justice Minister Chun m i a announced the outline of the so-called Imdecha Sambap three rental laws. So in addition to the 2 plus 2 proposal, uh, which allows tenants to extend a contract once the existing two-year contract is completed, it also stipulates the increase in rent when renewing the contract should be less than 5% of the previous contract. And also it's been said to be applied to the contract of existing tenants who had signed the contract before the law went into force. Well, this particularly uh, came by taking into consideration that short-term rent would spike if they do not allow existing tenants to renew the contract. Now, as for the 2 plus 2 proposal, some lawmakers of the ruling DP had proposed a 2 plus 2 plus 2 plus 2 plan, or 2 plus 2 plus 2 plan, which obviously is stronger than the 2 plus 2 plan, but they reportedly decided to choose the existing 2 plus 2 plan to settle the three rental loss in its early stages. So it's highly likely that the increase in rent will not exceed 5% of the existing rent when renewed, but that upper limit can be set again within 5% through some ordinances, especially when local governments decide to place the limit. So in Seoul and the other metropolitan areas where the monthly rent increase is relatively high at this point, it's expected that the rent will rise by less than 5% considering the inflation rate. So this is actually similar framework to limiting price increases when people renew contracts for private rental homes of more than 100 households because the law requires these private rental homes to raise rents within 5% too. Mm -hmm. So the ruling party and the government have set a goal of passing these bills at a plenary session of the National Assembly scheduled at October 4th. And if they do fail to pass the bill within the remaining one-week time frame, it will have to wait for the National Assembly's regular session in September. Well, the rent prices have already risen before this three uh, rental law went into effect, so the ruling party and the government should and are likely to seek the passage before the extraordinary session. Well, they have the vote, so it's just more about the political will uh, to see if they will pass it uh, in this extraordinary session. Uh, Let's switch gears. We do know that a North Korean uh, defector uh, fled to uh, Kaesong in North Korea. It was a pretty dramatic story. We're now getting some more specifics in regards to this individual and his uh, movements. Uh, could you give us the updates? Sure. So, Gyeonggi Namu Provincial Police Agency gave some confirmation that the 24-year-old man, the former North Korean defector, now identified by his surname Kim, arrived at the border area of the western island of Ganghwa, uh, which is located about 60 kilometers west of Seoul, Uh, by taxi in the early hours of July 18th, not July the 19th, uh, which is when the military had initially said that they, he was fleet. He has fleet. So let's take a listen to what Kim j u n n a k from the Joint Chief of Staff had said. Gangwa도 일대로 추정을 했고, 그다음 월북했던 장소로 추정되는 지점이 철책이 아니고 배수로로 추정하고 있다라고 말씀을 드렸고요. So what he was saying is that Kim likely swam across the border from Ganghwa Island in Incheon to the north after going through a drain under barbed wire fences. 
So he appears to have passed through a drain under these barbed wire fences to evade border guards, and the drain leads to a Han River estuary adjacent to the Yellow Sea. And the police found his bag around that place, the train in Kanghua Island, where he got off the taxi. The police also said that he traveled to the island on July 17th using a fellow defector's car, so apparently he was looking for the best possible routes to flee to North Korea. So we are now getting a clearer picture of how he possibly returned to North Korea. And the police are under fire for not properly monitoring this? Yeah, so while we're getting some reports of how Kim returned to North, the police response during the process seems increasingly mysterious, so they are largely under fire for their late response. Well, North Korean defectors are regularly monitored by the police, and they have to reach out to them at least once a month to find out if there are any abnormalities. But it has been confirmed that the police have never called Kim, uh, who is also a suspect of sexual assault, before he defected to the North. An additional report said that he uh, that the military authorities did not notify the National Intelligence Service after receiving some intel on Kim's probability of defecting to North Korea and contacted Kim only half a day later. Well, Kim's acquaintance said that he warned police about Kim several times on July 18th, but the police failed to act on the warnings. Well, the police imposed an overseas travel ban on Kim on July 20th, but again, this is a quite belated response. So the police is planning to form an inspection team to look into whether officers properly handled a rape case involving Kim and the alleged tip-off about his escape. Well, meanwhile, the government has confirmed that Kim never was never confirmed with the novel coronavirus, so basically rejecting a claim that's made by North Korea. Yeah, I mean, this is so dramatic. There's still a lot of murky details, uh, maybe some allegations of incompetence, but it does read like a movie script, and you wonder if uh, this is going to be something we're going to see in the cinemas in 10 years' time. <laughs> All right, Sumin, as always, thank you very much. Appreciate it. You too.